Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm your co-host, Carrie Gessner, and today we have a special guest host with us, whose voice should be familiar to regular listeners. Erin, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Erin Chandler, and regular listeners may remember me from the Haunting of Bly Manor Turn of the Screw episodes. And I had such a great time in that discussion, and I'm really happy to be back today. Awesome. We're happy to have you back, because if listeners are listening closely, you will hear the absence of KW. (laughs) (laughs) So I know we said last episode we would talk about Norwegian Space Disco, which I still don't know what that is, Shadow in the Cloud, and Emotional Catharsis in TV, but KW has had a very busy week and just couldn't be here. So we're going to shelve those topics for another episode, and I'm very grateful to Erin for stepping in as guest host because no one wants me to do this alone. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for asking me to be be guest host. Mm -hmm. And we're very excited because KW is not here, so there are no rules. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about things that maybe if KW were here, she would say, oh no, we're not talking about that again. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Speaking of, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about the TV show 12 Monkeys, the band The Cranberries, and the new album Fearless, Taylor's version. We're very excited about all of those topics. Last year, I think, we covered the pilot of 12 Monkeys, and it's a four-season show, so we obviously couldn't get too in-depth about it, and it's also been a while since I've seen it. Because I I caught up with the first season, but I watched seasons two through four as it was airing. But you got really into it last year. So I did. Just tell us everything that you like about it. Okay. So I started watching 12 Monkeys right at the start of the pandemic, right before (laughs) it really, like at the beginning of March last year, (laughs) which was a questionable choice. A little bit. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure that had I known what was going to happen exactly, I would have done it that way. <laughs> but it became kind of weirdly a comfort show to me at the beginning part of the pandemic. The the reason that it's a questionable choice, in case you're unfamiliar with the the setup of Twelve Monkeys, is that it's a show about a global pandemic that has in the past wiped out the majority of the human population of the planet. <laughs> and and there are parts in the beginning of well like in like mid to end of season 1 I think especially that are kind of hard to watch given our real world context but it really kind of quickly moves on from season 2 onwards being more about you know trying to save time itself because it's a time travel show. <laughs> So it became a weird a weird comfort to me and I would kind of just curl up when it felt like the actual pandemic was too much and just sort of watch these messy characters deal with the fictional pandemic in really dramatic ways. And it was kind of comforting in that spoiler alert in the end they do save the world and they do save time itself. So just that reassurance is there. Yeah. And so they get there eventually. So that's kind of comforting. And I also found it comforting that they are just really bad at it. (laughs) It does take them a while. 
it does take them a while and they get in their own way a lot. (laughs) They do ultimately succeed. So if you're familiar with the film version of 12 Monkeys from the 90s, it's the same basic, the TV show is the same basic setup, but where the movie is kind of trying to mess with your head um, and give you these big like galaxy brain moments. The show is more about messing with your emotions, (laughs) which is something that is easier to do over a long period of time, over a four season television show. Yeah. Both of them are kind of are about this man, James Cole, who travels back in time to before the pandemic has destroyed the world. And it's about him sort of falling in love with that world, with the past, while realizing that his present is inescapable. So the movie is the the ultimate message of the movie kind of seems to be that you can't understand your life until the very end, at which point you learn that, you, that you've been controlled the whole time by forces that are bigger than you are and that you've never really been able to make your own choices and that nothing matters. Okay, that sounds terrible. I've never actually seen the movie, so this does not make me want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, but it's bleak. The show is more about, the show I think makes more of the argument that even if you can't control the ultimate outcome of, in this case, kind of this this cycle, this time loop, this causal loop that everyone is stuck in, your choices still matter. An individual choice does matter. So the characters kind of keep saying, it matters what we do here. The movie has this setup that you can't change time. You can't rewrite time once it's happened. So everything that James Cole does when he goes back in time is always going to have happened in the same way. In the show, in the show, the premise is you can change time. And that's the assumption that they start out with that they're going to go back in time and stop this pandemic from ever having happened. And they find that it's very difficult to do that because kind of the forces of time are very difficult to bend and to break. But things happen that do change the course of time, if not for the whole world, then certainly for individual people. So it kind of takes this this approach that I like of while while your individual choices might not matter in kind of the grand scheme, in the big, big, big picture, it can matter to one person and it can matter to you. And that's not nothing. Yeah. So within this show, you'll see people telling each other or telling other characters, you have this purpose, you have a destiny. And what the show seems to mostly reinforce is that purpose is something that you have to find for yourself. If someone else is imposing it on you, that's always a bad thing. So as these characters are trying to stop this pandemic from ever having happened, what ends up happening for them is it just kind of, the series kind of becomes a series of of trolley problems, where (laughs) if you're familiar with the idea of the trolley problem, It's if you have this runaway trolley on a track 
and it's going to, if you don't shift its course, it's going to hit like 10 people or something like that. But if you pull a lever and change its course, it's going to hit and kill one person. Is it more moral for you to let the five people die or to actively make a decision to change what happens, but then you have a more active hand in the death of the one person? So with the show, it's more like, do you kill one person to save 7 billion people? Or do you let 7 billion people die to save one person? And who the one person is in each case, they'll get more and more specific, like, oh, what if it's somebody you care about? What if it's somebody you love? What if it's your soulmate? What if it's your child? What if it's your parent? And what it kind of emphasizes is that it seems like it should be obvious that like, yes, if killing one person is going to save 7 billion people, then you do it. But that that's not an easy choice because one person can be worth 7 billion people to you. So in the course of making all of these all of these decisions, these characters make some really morally ambiguous choices and yet stay stay likable characters. Yeah. Like for the most part, even if they're doing something really frustrating, I'm interested in what they're doing and I still like them. Right. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because at least for me, like all of this heady stuff is interesting and the moral questioning and all that stuff. But when I like a show, a lot of it just comes down to do I like the characters? Yeah. And yeah, you. I ended up really, really liking all of them. And we could talk about some of them more in depth. But I wanted to make sure to bring that up because I think they really are the heart of this show. And that's a really important way to like build out your show like build some interesting characters and then give them an interesting playground to play in and you're right they're totally frustrating but at the same time (laughs) you're like i guess yeah okay yeah i understand (laughs) and like sometimes they will completely change what their stance is on kind of the big moral questions and the the decisions they're making over the course of the series and it doesn't seem forced it seems like yeah, given what's happened, that is what you would do. <laughs> Even if, you know, I as a viewer am screaming at the at the television screen, like, no, that's the worst decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they're getting like they're getting in in their own way with all of their very like their human relationships to each other. And like the The literal time travel of the series gets kind of compounded by all of these non-literal forms of time travel that those relationships make happen, like parent-child relationships and the idea of where you come from and what your legacy is, is really important. And being on a quest for vengeance because of something that's happened to you or to someone that you love and not being able to let go of the past because of that and like hope and fear of death and nostalgia and all of this stuff that's really like character dependent and what it ultimately makes this this strong argument for like if you're making choices if your choices are mattering to individual people ultimately it ultimately i think ends up saying that Killing one person for 7 billion people is never going to be the right choice because they can make a different choice. 
It's definitely an interesting question to think about. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's one of those things where, like, there's no good answer. There's not. So you kind of have to pick the less less bad one. But I do really enjoy how all of the characters' decisions are wrapped up in their relationships with each other. Yeah. So there's a big point it makes about how no one no one's an island. Yeah. And they even quote you're that. not unaffected by the people you, you meet. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I've been I've been rewatching it with my friend Kate, who is watching it for the first time, and we just watched an episode where Jones quotes that no man's an island and each person's death diminishes me. Nice. Yeah. Jones is a cool character. Jones is a very cool character and a character who I think is interesting because she takes a lot of what are usually what if she were a male character would be some really kind of tired tropes and makes them kind of interesting and compelling because she's this because she's a woman and a brilliant scientist and 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 all of this stuff. Jones is a very interesting character. Yeah, she's cool. She's German. She is German. And she's, she smokes a lot. She, she's played by... I don't, I'm not sure if she's German or Austrian or... I'm looking it up. Yeah. She's German, yeah. She's played by the German actress Barbara Sokopa, who's great. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where she gets to speak German, <laughs> which is like they shot it in... Canada. So you have a lot of people speaking French who sound really fluent and then you have a lot of people speaking German and none of them sound fluent except for Barbara <laughs> Sokova. So. But I think we can't finish talking about this without talking about my favorite character and your favorite character. Yes. Because she's the best character. Jennifer Goins, mm-hmm. who is the series adaptation of Brad Pitt's character from the movie, Jeffrey Goins. But just like the series is a much more emotional and relationship-based take on on the plot setup, Jennifer is a much more emotion and character-based take on this character of a person that we meet in a mental institution who may or may not have a role in bringing about the end of the world. And she's Played by Emily Hampshire, who played Stevie on Schitt's Creek. And that's the reason that I actually started watching 12 Monkeys in the first place. Yeah. Because I'd seen some clips of her and I was like, this is a very, very different character (laughs) from Stevie. Yeah. And it is. She's a very talented actress. Mm -hmm. And she was playing these two characters at the same time. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. And at some point, at some points, even filming at the same time, like she would film Shit's Creek in the day and then go film 12 Monkeys at night. <laughs> Which is bonkers. Yeah. Because they, once you watch them side by side, they're just, their energy is so different. Yeah. As characters that doubts a lot to keep in your head and like, it's, it's probably very exhausting. Yeah. And without spoiling anything or not spoiling much about Jennifer's character, (laughs) I think that actually, like, they have, the two characters have more in common than it would seem at first, because their ultimate motivations in both cases, I think, are just that they want to belong somewhere and they want, they want people to love them and to choose to love them. Yeah. 
but the way they go about expressing it is very, very different. <laughs> like Stevie says almost none of what she's thinking. <laughs> and Jennifer says basically everything she's thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, when you brought up earlier that the show is about, you know, deciding your own purpose and sort of building building your relationships with people. I was wondering just cuz you and I are close to the same age and we're millennials, like yeah. upper end of millennials, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the generation stuff confuses me, but yeah, I was just kind of wondering if that's sort of part of the reason that you and I both connected with this show so much because well, first of all, we're in this pandemic, so <laughs> everyone seems very isolated and this is basically a show about human connection. And as millennials, I feel like we, as a generation, sort of have that lost feeling and the idea that we can just make our own purpose and actively connect with the people around us is really intriguing and hopeful as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I I don't know that that's confined to our generation. I think that's kind of right. the desire for that kind of connection and that hopeful take on 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 what we can do with our lives is kind of universal. Mm-hmm. At least I hope it is. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I wasn't trying to say it was only millennials, but yeah, we we have a a tendency to be kind of yeah searching for our purpose longer than right than maybe older generations were. Because of kind of the the job market that we inherited and and all of that, but Jennifer ends up you know going out looking for for someone to love her, and she finds that, and she also learns to love herself, which is the greatest. <laughs> like there there are no, I can't. Can I? I okay, this is this is going to be kind of spoilery <laughs> okay. for just a little bit, but there okay. are a couple of scenes where. A younger version of Jennifer meets an older version of Jennifer. And those are some of my favorite scenes because in both of them, the younger version is looking at the older version like she's just the best thing ever, like the most amazing thing she's ever seen. And the older version is looking at the younger version like she's just the best thing ever and the most amazing thing she's ever seen. (laughs) And it's just kind of has this message of like if your older self could see who you are now they would love you and if your younger self could see who you are now they would be amazed at you that's so sweet i love it (laughs) (laughs) for me this is sort of the best kind of sci-fi show because yeah you've got all these sci-fi tropes of time travel and you know whatever else but it's all about love yeah. at the end of the day, which is very sweet and yeah. hopeful, and I love it. It definitely has the message in the end that love is what saves us. And the people who don't bother to form those relationships in a meaningful way are the ones who are always going to lose. Yeah. This is making me want... I, I rewatched a few episodes last year, but... I didn't get very far because I think I was like, pandemic? Yeah. Show about a pandemic? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> this would make me want to go back and, and finish it because it is such a good show. Yeah. 
And I feel like we should kind of put up the flag of the way that it talks about mental illness isn't always necessarily the best. Mm -hmm. Although there are some there are some parts where I think it handles it really well, like the scene where Jennifer tells Cassie, you have no idea how exhausting it is being crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is a good point. But definitely, definitely recommend it. Especially if you're an Emily Hampshire fan. Oh, yes. You love Shifts Creek. She is wonderful yeah. in this. I will watch her in anything now because I just think <laughs> she's so talented. Yeah. I think that's how I got you to watch that Hallmark yes, Christmas which holiday I also movie love. with her. <laughs> and if you want to have me on next Christmas to talk about Hitched for the Holidays, I will do it. Totally. We could totally do that. That's another recommendation for people. I know it's April, (laughs) but if you're in a holiday mood, Hitch for the Holidays is very, very cute. It's her and Joey Lawrence. Yes, I think Joey Lawrence. The oldest Lawrence brother. (laughs) Cool. Well, do you have any last points you want to make about 12 Monkeys? I think I made all the points. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) So, Carrie, in speaking of going back in time... Yeah. You've gotten into a specific band lately after rediscovering some of their greatest hits. So would you like to tell us about that? I sure would. (laughs) Okay, I'm trying not to be embarrassed because this is a little embarrassing. But part of Paz Pop is, you know, not feeling guilty about things. But I recently kind of rediscovered the Cranberries. (laughs) I don't know why you would feel embarrassed about that. They're great. (laughs) I think it's just knowing the sheer volume of songs by them that I've listened I've listened to their okay. To go back rewind a couple of weeks ago, part of the background of this is that you and I are actually writing a book together. Yes. Which we're definitely gonna talk about on the podcast someday, but that's a whole different topic. So we're switching off points of view and my point of view character was recording a cover song and we picked dreams by the cranberries so while i was writing this scene <laughs> totally unnecessarily i listened to dreams like 12 times in a row <laughs> and i feel i feel partially responsible for this because i think i was the person who recommended dreams in the first place you did suggest it yeah <laughs> but i asked for recommendations so it's okay <laughs> So I listened to it excessively while writing this scene, and I mean, I think it worked well mm-hmm. for the scene. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the scene turned out well, but at the end of it, I was like, I realized that I had known the song, but I didn't really know a lot of their other songs. So at work nowadays, I tend to listen to Spotify a lot. So I just hopped on Spotify the next day and like started listening to their <laughs> back catalog (laughs) just from the beginning and i found out that yeah i really enjoy listening to the cranberries i i can't really describe why a lot it's just that their sound is really comforting to me and i i don't know if it's just because the actual sound of it like just the basic rock sound reminds me of like the 90s 2000s which which is when they were active and there's this nostalgic part of me that is just like oh those were such simpler times for me as a person not saying 
they were in general, but um, simpler because I was younger and didn't have, you know, a ton of worries. So that's part of it. But part of it, too, is when I listen to new things, I try to listen to the lyrics, too, because I, I I mean, you and I are similar in that respect. I think we mm-hmm. we both enjoy the lyrical aspect of, of music, and they're much different than Taylor Swift, which is mm-hmm. who we're going to talk about next. But they they do some really interesting things lyrically, and I wouldn't call them, like, great poets or whatever, but I think they tackle some really interesting topics and they're not really afraid to write songs about how unhappy they are or they've written songs about like drug addiction and 9-11 and climate change and all this stuff. So a lot of times they will mention like mortality in songs, which is, I think, you and I have discussed a little bit. It's probably a product of growing up in the Irish Troubles, but they don't shy away from heavy topics, which I think is really, I don't want to say comforting. That sounds like the wrong word. (laughs) But it's, it is kind of, because there's comfort in kind of not, or relief or something in being able to talk about difficult topics that get avoided a lot Mm -hmm. or talked around. Yeah. And I think, One of the other things that really connected with me is because they do that, I'm going to bring out my little, my little page of, (laughs) it's so pretty. Thank you. Listeners can't see, but I have a little white piece of paper that has different color writing on it where I've just written down different Cranberries lyrics that I like a lot. (laughs) This is part of why I'm embarrassed about it, but. (laughs) Don't, don't be embarrassed. I bet more people do similar things than you would think. Yeah, I hope so. But one of the things that I've really loved is they do talk about mortality and some of their lyrics that I've really liked for some reason are, I'll wait for you forever, I'll take you to my grave, which I think I just texted you out of the the blue one day. I was like, listen to these lyrics. (laughs) Yeah, when you say you texted it to me out of the blue, you did say, these are Cranberries lyrics. It wasn't just... (laughs) I'll wait for you forever. I'll take you to yeah. my grave out of nowhere. That would have been that would have been weird. <laughs> <laughs> but those those sorts of ideas coupled with the fact that I just sort of started listening to them and Dolores O'Riordan is the main singer who died a few years ago. So lyrics like that where they do talk about death and mortality, they really make me think about how this person who is singing to me is not alive anymore. And how weird, but also kind of wonderful it is that she can still impact me, even though she's not here anymore. So I don't know. I just, yeah, it it's comforting in a weird way. And I've realized as the weather gets warmer, that <laughs> one of the things I really like to do is take walks in the woods and listen to the cranberries. <laughs> that sounds really nice. It is. Yeah, it's kind of, it's chill. It calms me down. So yeah, I, I don't have a lot more to say, but I do just want to say that I'm I'm really into them. I'm digging them. And sometimes that's all that you need from pop culture. Yeah. It's just to enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that you're right that their lyrics aren't like super complex, but they will take really evocative phrases. Mm-hmm. 
and just repeat those a lot. And I think that's a really interesting way of of communicating something so effectively and emotionally. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point because I made my mom listen to some last weekend and she was just like, I don't like this. She's saying the same thing over and over again. (laughs) And I remember in college, I recommended Snow Patrol to my sister and she was like, yeah, they just, I can't stand the song. He just keeps saying the same thing over and over again. And both of those bands do that. But to me, it's super comforting because I'm just like, yeah. The repetition is just really nice for some reason. And, you know, some people don't like it, and that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think for me, I personally agree with you that when when those things get repeated over and over, it helps you or it helps me absorb it more and, like, get the meaning more Mm -hmm. and also get, like, different potential layers of meaning from it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I also really like Snow Patrol. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. For a while there, I was there was like a two week period where I was only listening to Snow Patrol and Cranberries, so like two Irish bands. <laughs> Is Snow Patrol Irish? Yeah, they are. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. I was like, I feel like there's a thread here, but I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> like, why I'm just so into these two Irish bands right now. <laughs> well, without KW to keep us in line. Erin and I talked way too much about some of our favorite topics, so I made the executive decision to split the episode into two. We'll bring you the discussion of Fearless, Taylor's version, next week. Thank you so much to Erin for guest hosting. Pause Pop's theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find the show on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. We want you to stay healthy and safe out there. And you can join us next week for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.